Welcome to Investable Universe, where we seek to demystify the world of real assets investing. What do we mean by real assets? Well, it's real estate, it's infrastructure, it's commodities and their associated stocks. If you can touch it and you can invest in it, it's a physical asset, and that's what we'll be looking at in this series. These assets have historically outperformed in late cycle environments, they've defended better in recessions, and with all the talk of slower economic growth and uncertainty around global trade and geopolitical issues, we say it's time to take a closer look at real assets. Okay, so uh, a harbinger of the of the trade war dynamics has been the action in industrial metals, as well as the precious metals as uh, safe havens. So here to offer some perspectives on the industrial metals outlook and a recap of what we've seen and what we may see is Ed Meir. He is president of Commodity Research Group in Darien, Connecticut, and a uh, senior consultant for INTLFC Stone. Ed, thank you for joining me here today. Um, maybe you could get begin with a sort of a recap of what you've been seeing in the iron ore markets, given the strength in, in recent months, a sharp reversal following the trade war escalation. Just give me a sense of where we're at right now. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Rebecca. Yes. Uh, iron ore has been a bit of an outlier. You know, when all these uh, industrial metals were dropping hard earlier in the year, mm-hmm. iron ore kept going higher. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was quite strange because, you know, steel prices in, in China were firm, but steel prices elsewhere, especially in the U.S., were falling. Industrial metals were falling. The mm-hmm. trade wars are kept getting uh, stocked up. So, uh, you know, it, it was really, a, I mean, everybody got it wrong. You know, the, the rally really just blindsided everyone. And uh-huh. it was obviously because of the accident we had in Brazil in January uh-huh. uh, at, uh, at that uh, tailings, the tailings accident, mm-hmm. which uh, Brumadino, it's called, mm-hmm. uh, that triggered a nationwide uh, retraction or contraction in Brazilian iron ore production. Mm-hmm. So prices started to stir just when that uh, that news broke. In fact, the accident didn't do much the first few days, but then once people realized how serious it was and once the ramifications grew countrywide, mm-hmm. then the, the rally got going. Yeah. Dovetailing that, we had problems in Indonesia with, uh, with uh, flooding and, uh, sorry, in Australia mm-hmm. with a lot of port flooding and inland transport issues. So we had a squeeze coming from two key iron ore suppliers, Mm -hmm. and that got the rally going. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you add to that, you know, uh, the Chinese are very big speculators, and Mm -hmm. because uh, iron ore is traded in China and in Singapore, uh, you have, you know, you have all these hedge funds and speculators piling into iron ore because people like to buy something when it's going up. They they don't like... (laughs) sideways action, and of course, it drove a lot of money into the complex. Mm-hmm. So sort of a confluence of events that, that triggered it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, recently, as you said, we've had a bit of a reversal because mm-hmm. as typical with all these things, you know, the pendulum starts to swing the other way. Mm-hmm. Brazil su- Brazilian supply is now easing. In fact, exports are at a nine-month high. Mm-hmm. Uh, Australia also is on demand in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the main iron ore producers, Vale, Rio Tinto, they're, they're getting their, their production back on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, combined with that, you're starting to see some easing in Chinese steel prices. Ah. So 
for the first time, we're seeing both steel and iron ore prices coming down. Whereas mm-hmm. earlier this year or a couple of months ago, we were seeing steel prices flatlining to going down in China while iron ore continued to go up, mm-hmm. which made it even more puzzling. So right now, they're both in sync and they're both coming down. And iron ore, in fact, is now at a four-month low. Oh. So that's in a nutshell what's uh, what's happening. Now, the question is what happens going forward? Right. Second half, we see, you know, the supply picture continuing to ease. Mm-hmm. So we, we think prices will will probably come come down a bit more from here. We're around 89, 90 right now. It's possible we could get to 75 if the Brazilian supply starts to flow in more aggressively. Um, also, I'm I'm very concerned about Chinese growth as obviously you know uh, it seems to be slowing at an accelerated pace Mm -hmm. so we're going to start to see some knock-on effect in construction in property prices and that could slow uh, the iron ore rally even more going into the second half. When I hear about uh, Chinese uh, economic growth slowing at an accelerated Mm -hmm. rate my immediate thought is that a, a, a rapid slowdown in growth means a a rapid and massive stimulus on the way from the Chinese government. Do you think that's do you think that's a you scenario know, the, that's on the, the table? Stimulus, yes, that's a good question. There is some stimulus coming, but keep in mind they can't really open the floodgates mm-hmm. because they have so much debt. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, imagine stimulating. If you stimulate, you basically tell these regional uh, provinces go ahead and issue some bonds and build uh, another five airports and four bridges and, and issue, uh, you know, kind of capital bonds on it and, uh, and we will kind of give you a backstop on the debt. You know, so it's like a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if these projects don't pay for themselves, mm-hmm. same thing with construction and property markets. You know, so stimulus, by definition, uh, encompasses some debt. And given that, you know, Chinese debt overall is close to, I think it's 300% of GDP, the government has to kind of thread the needle very carefully. It doesn't want to really open it up completely because they don't want to create another sort of a property bubble or a a speculative industrial bubble where, you know, they have all these zombie factories producing things that nobody wants. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem they have. have So that's why you see, you know, they stimulate and then they kind of tighten. They stimulate and they tighten. And and it's still not hit the level that, uh, it was at in 2015 and 2016 or 2008, 2009. They, they, they haven't ramped up to, to that effect yet. So moving on, also within the base metals, I think we've seen uh, some volatility in the opposite direction from nickel. So why has nickel right, been so right. resilient in this softening economic environment? Yeah, good question. In fact, I was looking at the charts. We follow six of the LME metals, mm-hmm. uh, copper, aluminum, zinc, lead, and nickel, and tin. Mm-hmm. Uh, five of the six are either down or flat on the year, and nickel <laughs> is doing its own thing, and it's up <laughs> something like 20%. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of a... Uh, uh, it reminds me of this Greek expression, you know, five birds are flying one way and one is going the other way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you know, you kind of are a bit worried about it being on its own like that. But uh, a couple of things behind the nickel rally. First of all, you have a big Chinese uh, stainless producer in Indonesia called Xinjiang, mm-hmm. 
they are absolutely massive uh, producers of nickel pig iron, ferrochrome, stainless. And the rumor was about a month ago that uh, their production was hitting some some obstacles. So the rumor was that they started buying nickel on the LME. And of course, that's what that's what kind of triggered uh, the rally uh, back in I think in June it was. Uh, couple that with the fact that we had flooding in Indonesia, so some of these mines, nickel iron ore, uh, sorry, nickel uh, ore mines were were under some stress. And uh, more recently, we had uh, a story that the Indonesians who have been exporting nickel ore. Nickel ore is like the raw material you used mm-hmm. to make nickel with. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were talking about banning these exports of ore by 2022, which mm-hmm. is three years from now, no, no big deal. But the talk was that they might, might bring the ban forward, you know, like to next year or something, in which case the market could be squeezed if, if Indonesia doesn't uh, allow more ore to leave. By the way, they did the same thing in tin about 20, 25 years, 20 years ago, I would say. They, they banned tin. Mm-hmm. They told people, you can't send the tin ore out. You have to process it and make refined tin. That way you can export it. So there's no tin ore coming out of Indonesia. Uh, and the game plan is the same with nickel ore. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, uh, there is a new government there. It doesn't really uh, take, uh, it, it doesn't really get seeded until October. And you know how these things are. There's a minister who has to come in and review things. So I think the market sort of got ahead of itself a bit in that they're assuming this ban would be uh, taking hold much earlier than expected. So, um, you know, I I wouldn't jump in here uh, on nickel. I think it's very overextended. Mm -hmm. Um, Stainless demand seems to be slowing. I, I talked about the analogy with the other five metals. You know, they're all down. Zinc, which is kind of in the nickel realm, you know, it's a steel play as well, as is nickel. Mm-hmm. Uh, zinc is, is, is dropping very, very hard. So that tells you something about construction demand and uh, um, and uh, automobile stainless demand. So, you know, I don't know how long this thing will run, but I think it's, it's very close to the top, and probably the easy money has been has been made in in uh, in nickel. And one last point: even if this ban by the Indonesians takes hold, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean there will be a shortage of nickel. It just means that this ore that's not going outside of Indonesia will be processed inside Indonesia. So you're going to see more nickel, refined nickel. You'll see more. Uh, ferro-nickel, you'll see stainless coming out of Indonesia. So they are going to use the ore internally to make more nickel. So it's not like, uh, you know, they, they're just banning the sale of all nickel. It's just going to be coming out in different shapes. Uh-huh. Finally, let's take a look at uh, at the uh, safe haven play with the uh, in precious metals. Uh, a market call mm-hmm. getting a lot of attention this week was Goldman Sachs with their call on gold uh, hitting uh, 1575 in 3 months and 1600 within 6 months. What's your view on right. that? Well, um, um, those those targets are reasonable. We had a call of 1600 this month. Uh-huh. So we have another 2 weeks to go and we base that on whether uh, if and if and when uh, the Chinese PLA, the mm-hmm. People's Liberation Army, 
finally say enough is enough and and move into Hong Kong. I think uh. if they do that, uh, I think uh, gold will hit sixteen hundred. And do you the see meantime, that happening within me, within weeks of the within, PLA? Within days. Within, within days. days. Yes, within days. Uh, I think it's it's going to be a massive shock because um, it, it's obviously going to cripple. Uh, it's going to knock confidence back in Hong Kong as as sort of a gateway to China. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to erode business confidence, and it's going to strain relations between China and the West quite a bit. Uh, but I, I just don't think the authorities are just going to sit by and see their airports being closed and, you know, people running around in the streets and breaking things, uh, protesting, you know. So I, I think at some point, if they don't sort of reach an agreement, and it's hard to reach an agreement because there's no leadership uh, behind these protests. It's all sort of ad hoc. Um, so if, if they don't kind of solve this problem somehow, I, I think we're, we're really on a knife's edge and, and gold can move. And so does the move higher in gold suggest that a comparable spike in, in silver may be on the way? Will that take it up with? Yes. In fact, if you look at the copper, if you look at the gold and silver charts, gold started to move first and mm-hmm. silver wasn't doing anything. So uh, we wrote in our monthly commentary that, you know, we thought silver and this was at the beginning of July. We thought silver and platinum, sort of the laggards, would catch up to gold. And in fact, they have. So this gold-silver ratio, which a lot of people follow, I'm not really a... Uh, I'm not really sold on it, but nevertheless, a lot of people follow this gold-silver ratio. It's got to, I think, a uh, record uh, differential of 94 or 95, and it's come in now to around 88. So silver has certainly responded and has caught up. Um, but the main reason we think, uh, the main reason gold rallied, you know, I mean, you could say, why is it rallying now? It's been, you know, dead in the water for years. Uh, but if you if you plot gold prices against the 10-year U.S. Treasury, you'd see almost a lockstep move. As, uh, as, as soon as these uh, U.S. rates started to fall from around 2.1% on the 10-year to 1.5% right now, that's exactly when gold started to go up. Because um, uh, that's obviously, you know, lower rates drives, drives gold higher. And even more alarming, you have negative rates. In, in Europe, you have $15 trillion of European sovereign paper that is in negative territory. So the, the beef against gold for years was, why buy gold? You know, you don't get anything on your money. You know, it's like dead money because it doesn't pay anything. Mm-hmm. So now the, now the question is, why not buy gold? Because at least your money is safe, whereas if you buy a European bond, you, you're going to be losing money just to sit on it. So, you know, uh, cash is no longer even desirable. It's not really an alternative uh, if you're in a negative rate environment. And my fear is that these negative rates will will eventually possibly come into the U.S. markets. You know, it's it's a scary thought, but uh, we're not that far away. And do you think it's it's likely? I think if we get into a deep slump, Mm -hmm. um, and the Fed... You know, the Fed is, has run out of room. You know, mm-hmm. they were at 2%. Everyone was freaking out. So <laughs> they, 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 they lowered their rates. You know, before they were at 6%, 7%, 6%. Uh, 
15% in the 80s, you know, so when they lowered rates, it, it had an impact. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, you know, pushing on a string, against a string, you know, you're not getting the same bang for the buck uh, if you lower rates from 2% to zero, you know, people aren't going to react much differently. Um, so I, I really don't know. It's pretty scary. I think it, a lot depends on if we head into a recession in the States. I think we will probably by early next year, especially if we don't get this trade situation somehow uh, solved. Uh, it, it's really a, it's really a external variable that is basically freezing global business investment, and uh, because people have no certainty as to where they should invest or which where to open a factory or where to export from because they just don't know where the tariffs will land. Oh, it's fascinating to see these uh, th- this uh, volatile outlook for the globe made manifest in these physical markets. Ed Meir, thank president you. at uh, Commodity Research Group in Darien, thank you for speaking with the podcast today. My pleasure. That's all we got for Investable Universe this week. Check us out online for more stories at investableuniverse.com or follow us on Twitter at InvestableU. I'm Rebecca Darst for Investable Universe. See you next time.